0: hello and welcome back to another episode of the music history project today we are going to be talking about mom and pop music stores the heart of the music products industry and today we're actually going to hear from the moms and the pops Welcome to the Music History Project. We're your hosts. I'm Mike Mullins. Dan Del Fiorentino.
1: And Michelle Shedler.
0: All of our content comes from the Oral History Program, which is sponsored by NAM, the National Association of Music Merchants. And that is a collection that is over 3,500 interviews and constantly growing. If you want to check out any of our content or any of our other interviews that aren't featured today, please check out our website at www.nam.org. library
2: Well gather around, it's family time. We're going to be (laughs) talking about mom and pop shops today and I'm really excited about this because my introduction to the music products industry was really all about the uh, the comfort of going into a music shop and seeing mom in the back with a calculator and dad up front you know handing out the pics and and sometimes their kids are running around helping out moving boxes and pianos so uh, this is really kind of at the heart as Mike said at the intro of our industry and so over the years we've been able to interview some of the legends really um, of the mom and pops uh, shops all around the United States and in the Canada so today we're gonna have the sort of a focus on the ones that uh, we were able to interview both the mom and the pop.
1: Yeah, so this is going to be a little bit different than our previous episodes. Previously, we kind of sprinkled people here and there. We did sections based on topic, like what instruments they played, things like that. This time, it's going to be a little bit more... Um, I don't want to say informational because that kind of sounds like it's going to be boring because far from boring, but you're going to hear from each couple as a whole and then you'll move on to the next couple. So it's just going to be a little bit different of a setup. They'll each talk about how they got into the business, some of the challenges that they have faced, and then how each different company has actually emerged from those challenges and have done such creative things to kind of build their name
2: awesome I think that's really at the fat the fabric of the the mom and pops is that you know they have staying power you know it's their family it's business this is what they do and most of them wanted to pass it along to their kids so they want to secure it enough so that it can sustain and and go on to the next generation which we see in almost every one of these just looking briefly at the list that's exactly what's happening so uh
0: who are we going to be hearing from today we are going to be hearing from Marvin and Beverly Maxwell, Nancy and Bill Higgins, Dick and Marilyn Puccio, Tom and Brenda Hebert, Jerry and Bernice Ash, and last but not least, Jim and Edie Kidder. Awesome! So we're going to start out in
2: Louisville, Kentucky, as I recall, and Mom's Music.
0: Yes, what an amazing name for a store! I think <laughs> I think that should go down as one of the, one of the top names for a music store.
2: After all, it's mom and pop today, so mm-hmm. we're going to start with moms. Here's Marvin and Beverly Maxwell.
3: I had been in stores ever since the 60s. I worked for Baldwin Piano Company in the 60s. Uh, they wanted to get into the rock and roll business, and they had guitars and amps and what have you. If you ever see Willie Nelson on a concert, you look back there, he's still playing on a Baldwin amp. There's a story behind that, and I won't tell you why, but he's playing through a Baldwin amp. So I went to work for Baldwin as a piano tuner technician. And they wanted to get in the rock and roll business, so I went downstairs from the the shop, from the piano shop, and started running this uh, rock and roll business. They were selling electric guitars and amplifiers and combo organs, what you call them in those days. That's how I got into retail. So I've worked in the retail. Started Moms, what, about 30-something years ago, I guess. Yep. Uh, About about 30-something years ago. About 38 years. uh, I've been in retail in stores in that area for 50 years, I guess, at least. Mm. And in the 70s, I started another company uh, called Maxwell Systems, and I built a lot of speakers. I I designed some speaker cabinets, and I sold a lot of speakers then. Then I got back into retail, and uh, 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 if the kids were gonna play music, they needed something a little bit more than that, so uh, something substantial to make a living, and uh, so they naturally started going with me. In fact, I used to take them when I was in the studio. I'd take the, the boys, at least, and, uh, when they were babies, and take them in the studio and lay them down on the floor in the drum booth. So they've been around that all their lives, and they do very well at it. And uh, that's all we know is music, man. Yep.
2: So tell me about y- your perspective on the music store. Uh, um, I'm, I'm always kind of curious about the, ro- the role of women in the industry and how that has changed. What was it like when you first started?
4: Well, really, I've been in the back room all my life. <laughs> I've been in a little room off to the side.
2: You
3: don't mean the toilet, do you?
4: <laughs> well, sometimes. I feel like it.
5: <laughs> In the music business, sometimes
4: you feel like it's a toilet. Absolutely. But, but it's, uh, it's been a challenge. But now our daughter has come to work with us uh, again. She worked with us years ago. And things have, you know, everything evolves, changes. <laughs> and uh, she's got a lot of great ideas and um you know we went to the swim thing with the women and that was great and uh just feel like that you know she's going to be a great asset to the business
3: and her son is mm-hmm. working in the store now too so that's yeah. three generations there. that's
4: right we got grand Man, I started something weird
3: child. didn't i gosh so, darn yeah
4: so. i ought to
3: be ashamed of but i'm not
4: no of course not, not. At all. <laughs> <laughs> that's not
3: going to happen No, I, I truly believe in music and i truly believe there would be a better world if everybody played music, I know that sounds crazy, but I really believe that in my heart. Mm. Uh, and if I see somebody on the street play music, it's cheaper in a boat, safer to a motorcycle, guaranteed to make them young ones smarter. <laughs> <laughs> NAM has all those particulars, and I've used it in some advertising lists too. you know, it, it makes you smarter, at, uh, X amount of percentage of, 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 of brain surgeons played music when they were young. I really believe in music, I really do. I believe it makes a better person, it develops a, uh, a heart, that you ordinarily wouldn't have. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily uh, there's another type of music, which they call music. It's it's rap. Uh, I don't really call it music because it doesn't have any pitch to it. Uh, it's, to me, it's prose and poetry, but uh, a, as a whole, playing music is, is good for the soul. I really believe... It. I bet I play harp in the... You know what i, I think so. I, well, they not, have drummers up there too
4: i'm not sure about that we'll find I have out i'd <laughs> <laughs> <Might> have to <laughs>
2: so what year was mom started
3: 81 81. i had a bad car wreck frankly we didn't want to get into all that but i had a bad car wreck going home from a gig because when i started putting moms together <coughs> i had this old building it had been a nightclub at one time, and it's all it was all barn wood and stained glass and everything, and it was cool for what I wanted to put together. I wanted something with some soul to it, so I started uh, working on that building and uh, got mom's opened, and it it had a shower in the back, and I would keep the store open to seven o'clock, and I'd go back there and take a shower, and go to the club, and and I was playing six nights a week, and we lived about 30, 40 miles uh, from the from the town, and. Uh, uh, I went to sleep on the way home and hit a concrete bridge and hmm. Uh, hmm. Um, I, it was a mess.
4: Yeah. So we ended up buying the guy out that he was working for at the time, thinking, well, we got to have to do something else, you know, because he was working two jobs and all that. So so anyway, that's how we ended up with it. Wow. Yeah.
3: And the kids yeah. got involved in it and it Is kept it? on growing and
4: Yeah.
2: How did the name come about? <laughs> <laughs>
3: My initials are MDM, so I rounded out the D <laughs> as, as a part of it. My mom was a big influence for me. We lived out in the country, uh, and, and uh, she used to drive me to Louisville twice a week because I would, I would, uh, she would take me to Louisville, uh, and I studied at the Louisville Academy of Music, uh, reading on a practice pad, and then she would take me back to Louisville again uh, the same week to study with the same teacher, actually, on a kit. And so I'd take two lessons a week. And where am I? What am I talking about?
4: How we got the name.
3: Oh, the (laughs) name. Well, whoever took care of you better than your mom. No, actually mom's was going to be a musician's general store. Back when I started it, there was more groups on the road and what have you. And remembering that was kind of weird. So I thought, well, whoever took care of you better than your mom. So it turned into mom's musician general store. And mom upside down spells, well, it. What does it say? I don't know. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: that's why it's the perfect tattoo, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> he Ain't having a good time. To do something that's else. What
4: he needs to do. He hasn't got one of those. Okay, you next. <laughs>
2: but, so um, a couple of things I wanted to ask you guys about. One is um, we got to talk about the. Uh, Your son told me there was a time back in Nam history where you could collect sort of like stamps. Oh, my. Would you tell me about that? Because this is way before, I I never heard this before.
3: Well, it was was only a one-time deal. But back back in the day, (coughs) uh, one of the first package sound systems was sure came out with the VA-300 Vocal Master, which was two columns and a six-channel 100-watt mixer amp. Uh, I had an exclusive on it at Baldwin's. I also was going to do sound uh, once a year they had a Toys for Tots show at the fairgrounds, 20,000 people seated, and uh, I knew coming up I was going to do the sound for that. So when I went to the NAMM show in Chicago, the distributor that year had a deal on for dealers you got X amount of green stamps for, the, for a sure PA system that you bought. I bought 20 of them because when I did this show, I used 40 columns and 20 of those heads hooked together. <laughs> they gave me so many green stamps. You know, they used to come to the grocery stores and those cellophane packages of a thousand sheets. I had to take my briefcase back to the hotel and empty it clear out and brought it back to fill it up with those green stamps. And I came home, and we went to one of those redemption centers, and we furnished our house.
4: <laughs> I can't tell you how excited I was when you opened that, soup, that thing up. Like, oh my gosh, we did! It looked like a
3: million. It, was, it looked like a million dollars in there, you know. It was all perfectly all packaged up. Yeah,
2: it was great. Yeah,
3: that, that was so pretty great. cool.
2: We <laughs> had a good time trying to figure out what
4: you too. Right? Absolutely. absolutely. Oh, okay. oh <laughs> I'm no, so listen. sorry. No, that's, no. Okay. that's okay. Oh gosh.
3: Yep. Yeah, there we go. Oh, oh
2: no! I don't think i will do it right. Okay. Oh, that is so funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, green,
3: green stamps.
2: So you furnished a home. What do you remember purchasing? Like really, like the furniture?
3: Uh, couch and chairs and end tables and lamps and. Oh,
4: we did. We per- It was amazing. <coughs> I mean, it was so much fun. We had, we had a ball. You
3: ain't cap? having a good time. <laughs>
4: do something else there you go
3: that's right that's right no but i did i I, i've done some crazy stuff in this business and uh, sounds
2: like it well speaking of crazy you had this great idea um to improve on the toilet
3: oh yeah yeah that's that was crazy back in the 60s uh, i built an electric guitar and i used a toilet seat for the body of the electric guitar we still got it hanging in the store uh, in fact, it was the first guitar, I believe, to have distortion built in it. But anyway, I made an electric guitar uh, and used a regular toilet seat for the body of it. It was called the commode. And, uh, and it was funny, and we used to use it on stage a bit, but it wasn't an original idea. Somebody had done it before me. Besides, there just wasn't a market for it, you know? So I was sitting around one day, <laughs> and I thought, well, I'll just do the opposite. Turn the idea around 180 degrees. And did a toilet seat from a guitar body. In fact, uh, it it was uh, involved the NAM show somewhat in the, uh, at mom's. I had a friend that made uh, wooden signs uh, at home in his shop, and in fact, he made a big mom sign for us. And he came in the store one day, and I was headed to L.A. to a NAM show out there. And I said, I said, hey Dave, how's the sign business? He said, it sucks. And I said, will not you try something here? And I took a guitar off the wall and I laid it down on a piece of cardboard and drew around the body of it. And I gave it to him. I said, take this home, cut it out, shape of a guitar, go to the Walmart, buy a toilet seat, throw the ring and the stuff away, and, and uh, the lid away, and, and uh, put that ring on this thing and and he so he split and did that and i went on to l.a and my son called me in l.a and he said dad he said this thing rocks i said what are you talking about he said this toilet seat it rocks (laughs) And and, uh, so the rest is history i i uh i I thought well let's let's give this a try so in fact i showed him at nam here the next year there we We had a great booth out here, and I I thought, my God, all these people that know me from all these years, I said, you're either gonna ride me out of town on a rail, or they're gonna like this. (laughs) And when the doors opened at the show, you couldn't even get down the aisle. I'm serious, there was more pictures taken of our booth than the the stars. Uh, In fact, uh, that's how I've got, it's been on Today Show four times now. Uh, It was on on Today Show within the last month. They did a thing on on uh, uh, John Rich's house, uh, uh, Big and Rich. That the uh, the act, uh, John Rich is a wonderful songwriter, and uh, so they they interviewed him because he lives here in Nashville. He's got a weird house, uh, and so the Today Show was doing a thing about his house, and he specifically took him in his bathroom and he said, "And this is my jammin' Johns," and turned around and kind of winked at the camera. And uh, yeah, it was it was cool. But that was the fourth time it's been on today's show. So I've I've gotten a lot of press on this thing, obviously, and I've sold them to a lot of the stars and uh, it's a good gift. Uh, it's it's just a good gift and uh you and have a,
2: three models too, right?
3: Yeah, at least.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I, I had more than I had to, had to actually I've got everything. I've got toilet paper holders, bath towel holders, giant drumstick plunger handles. I got everything I got a microphone shower head called the aquapella. You <laughs> got a whammy bar flush handle called the whammy jammer. I got all that stuff, you know. Uh,
2: I'm actually hoping that you're going to tell me about the piano. Oh, well,
3: that's the piano. You can tinkle our keys, but bring your own stool. <laughs> Some woman told me that one from England. I've sold these guys darn turn things all over the world. These people send me all these silly sayings. And,
4: that was one of my favorites, I
3: loved that one. I loved that, one. <laughs> that, that was that crazy, was but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been the craziest thing I ever did, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it, it's been a pain in the butt, you might say, but uh,
2: uh,
3: but we're, we're still here. It
2: is so
3: fun. And you'd be surprised who, who have them, Willie's and Whalens and uh, Merle Haggard had one on his bus and uh, Dolly Park, uh, she, uh, uh, Spielberg's, uh, okay. I've even had uh, people that have bought them that are, you might say, stars, and their own people have stolen, stolen them from them because when they pull it, out, it's a shock when you pull one out of it. And it does no good to talk about them unless you can see them, because you try to tell somebody about a toilet seat and it looks like a guitar body, and because I've done, i did radio interviews in Guam. They call me, <laughs> they call me and tell us about those toilet seats. But it does no good to talk about them if you can't see them. So they are online. You can go to jamminjohns.com and see them. Because if you, if you don't see one, you just don't quite get it. No. Nope. And you
4: really can't believe how beautiful they are. I swear, they look just like a guitar sitting on there. And the finish is just fantastic. Well, I
3: build them in a guitar factory. They're fantastic. And I've had fantastic. a lot of people wanting to build them for me and, and all, and, and good <laughs> friends and what have you. But I don't care how good of a car painter or a cabinet maker you are, if you don't make guitars, they don't look exactly like a guitar. And so I've I've had several different guitar manufacturers uh, make them for me, and I think I've got one of the best right now, because they are gorgeous. And uh,
2: Well, I know that you guys are still active in the store. And, and Beverly, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what it is that you enjoy most about being involved with the music store. Me?
4: Oh, I do. Like besides <laughs> him. Besides him. Oh, gosh. I really, I tell you, just the fact that I get to listen to people play music. I'm in this little area where nobody sees me. I have a sliding glass door in the front, and I get the joy of listening to all those people play music. And I really, I can't tell you how much I enjoy it. And we have a jazz uh, group, jazz class, that plays on Saturday mornings. And we have a a stage where they do recitals and things, and they rehearse out there because they have a lot of different people. And uh, that is just so relaxing. And so wonderful. You know, it's not the work, I have to say. It's not, the work is not fun. <laughs> the paperwork part of it's not fun. But being with the people that come in that store and, you know, it's just the music is really just wonderful to listen to. And,
3: and we were the, uh, 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 if not the first, one of the first people or dealerships to try this uh, this thing, Where The movie's about now, School of Rock. That's based around Rock School, which we were hired, actually, by Yamaha to see if it could be done because mm-hmm. uh, i've always been around music and music people and everything and i'm crazy enough that that that's why probably they thought well we'll see if marvin do it to see if it's going to work but, <laughs> but anyway we uh they they at an AM show they said uh, i heard one of the the japanese folks say you give rock school to moms and so they took me back and they said we want to see if you want to try this and uh uh they finance me to to it's a, it's a program not for musicians it's for people that are not musicians who would like to play music but never have and you put them in their own band the first day and you train them for eight weeks two lessons a week and on the ninth week you have them on stage playing before a full house in their own band mm. and it's a real game changer i could couldn't tell you much Uh, It was nuts. In fact, I didn't have room to do it because you have to set up a whole bands worth of gear and just leave it there because they're doing this all the time. I went down to one of the main uh, schools there in Louisville and told them what I wanted to try to do and see if I could borrow their auditorium and they were gracious enough to say yes and that's how we started it because I didn't have room to do all that back then. That's before we moved to where we are now. But we did it and uh, uh, it was weird for me because uh the, the first time we did it, which at the end of the eight weeks on the ninth week, I went down there, was shaking hands with folks as they come in, parents and things. And I they came in and, and uh, there's a big crowd there, and I thought, well, they're not really blown away with this thing, are they? And I thought, well, I thought, well, they've never heard them play. You know they'd only been doing it for eight weeks and they do it here. They don't do it at home. <coughs> well, I won't tell you when that first time, when that performance is over, when those parents came out of there, They were on high. They were. They were. That's the greatest thing it ever was. We don't have to tell Billy to do anything when he come home from school, or we don't have to tell Sally to do that. We don't have to do anything. They want to get on that instrument, play music. So frankly, we've done it ever since.
2: So Michelle, do you have a jamming Johns?
1: I wish. Now I'm not gonna lie. I went shopping to see if I could. You know, the piano ones
2: are cool too. Yeah, yeah, they are cool. Good job, Marvin. Smart <laughs> guy. Kid,
0: it's, it's such a funny concept, and you'd be like, that would never work. It just doesn't make any sense. But it makes so much <laughs> sense,
2: and it's just such a good idea. And built in an audience. Talk about right. that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Clever. That's part of the point of this podcast, I think, is the cleverness of the mom and pops. you know, they don't shut off their work like most of us go home and doing other stuff. This is their work. this is their lives as well. and so they're always coming up with ideas of how do they improve and so on. and um so we're gonna we're gonna continue on with um, I think we're going on to Bill's music now, right, Maryland?
0: That's correct, yep. We're going to hear from Nancy and Bill Higgins uh, from their 2009 interview, and they're going to be talking how they got into the industry and some of the challenges they had and how they overcame them.
2: Well, Nancy, uh, one of the things that's interesting to me is just how this store has been so successful. Can you tell us, first of all, a little bit of the, the idea of starting the store and how it's developed?
6: Well, there wasn't a whole lot of idea behind it. Uh, Bill, who's my husband, he uh, started giving guitar lessons and from there uh, he would go around to people's houses and he got so many he decided to rent just a small area to bring the students in and then from there they're asking where can I buy a guitar and that's basically where it started to take off. We were also in the era of the Beatles which Helped a lot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I bet it did. Yeah. <laughs> what sort of roles did you have at the beginning of the business?
6: Um, a little bit of everything. Uh, we uh, I taught a little bit of piano, because I had taken piano lessons, so I taught a little bit of beginner piano, uh, sold, did all the accounting, uh, just about everything. Straightened up. It was just Bill and I kind of at first, and then uh, some guitar teachers.
2: Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Was it tough in those early years as far as competition went, or was more of the struggle just building a business?
6: It was more building the business, but um, we realized that we needed to get the big lines like Fender and Gibson. And that was a little tough in the early years because there had been a lot of uh, established music stores uh, really down in Baltimore City. And uh, so it was a little bit competitive trying to get the lines, and we worked hard, and we got them.
7: The business was just taking off. We had our Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Bob Dylan, and then, of course, the Beatles came, and that really put music on the map as far as bands wanting to get together and be really a band. It it wasn't a a headliner like Elvis and a few pickup guys. When the Beatles came, everybody thought of their self as 25% of the band, full membership, full voting rights, if you will, and everybody had a place to play, a a part to play and uh, the band just took off like crazy and and i was giving lessons at the time by the time 64 and 65 came around um, i was back out of the record business uh, i'd gone into the army and when I came back out i just didn't get back into the records but uh, i did give guitar lessons uh, while i had a little job and uh, i got so many guitar lessons that i was giving that i used to go from home to home giving the lessons and uh, I got myself a little place where I could go in and set up a little studio. And I paid $10 a week to have that spot in there. And the, it was a coin shop. And the coin shop went out of business and the landlord said, well, for $60 a month, which was $15 a week, I could have the whole place. So I took the whole place, and uh, which was only as big as this room we're in here right now, Dan. It was just a little thing. Built a couple of little lesson studios for other teachers to you know, come in and help me out. And then I really weaned myself out of the studio teaching and getting strings and straps and parts and stuff like that, and then eventually guitars. And we just kept growing from there. That's how it started, really.
2: Hmm. Very interesting. Bill, I wonder, um, having that opportunity to teach, did that help you later on better understand customers, do you think?
7: Oh, sure, sure. Well, A, it gave me credibility. and 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 teaching in those days was really about clarinet accordion and trumpet and there weren't a lot of guitar teachers but they were coming online but the old-school way of teaching was to get out the Mel Bay book one which I used also in those days but at the second half of the lesson if they wanted to learn uh, satisfaction or whatever the song might be we'd work on that song and so they got uh, a little reading for mom and dad they were happy that the child was uh, taking reading But the child was happy to learn that Rolling Stone lick. So, so, uh, you know, that uh, really made it happen. And we had lots of of, uh, customers. And two of the boys that work here to this day were teachers. My repair shop, uh, uh, repair technician, Ronnie Cook, he had about 120 students, but he just didn't want to continue teaching. But he had a little thing he could do with guitars. We called it a super tune. And that was falling down the nut and adjusting the bridge and following the frets if need be. And we used to take a set of, there were no light gauge strings in those days, so we would buy a banjo string, move all the strings over, the E would become the B and right on down and put the banjo string on for the first string. And that was our light gauge strings before there were light gauge strings. We did it with a banjo string and five of the guitar strings. Very so clever. Uh, yeah, and the kids liked that. So we just we were in it, we were living it, we were playing. We wore Beetle boots and all that type of thing, and the kids <laughs> just liked it.
6: Uh, well, the Beatles was great for us because when we started off and we were teaching, uh, we taught the children to read, but we also said, "What songs would you like to learn?" And in those days, kind of everybody's just doing scales and going right by the book, and of course they all wanted to learn the Beatles songs. So they went home, and they've learned all their Beatles songs, and they enjoyed it even more. That's what made them keep coming back, I think, is to be like the Beatles. So it was tremendous for us.
2: So you gave them sort of an immediate satisfaction of being able to do something they...
6: Right. Instead of doing scales or going through the book for a year and not still playing row, row, row your boat, you know, they got to play the Beatles songs, so they were... Just excited over it, and of course the parents were excited because they recognized the songs too. So it was an interesting era.
2: Yeah. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> and did that grow? The was that during the period where you grew the product line as, as well?
6: I think so. Um, we opened in '65. and Of course, the Beatles were around in that era, so yeah we just started selling more and of course we were getting the attention of some of the vendors so that which helped you know them to come to us a little bit but uh yeah that's what we realized we needed to get all the instruments that the beatles were playing and whoever else was on the scene at that time
2: very interesting do you um think of any challenges that that you've overcome as far as staying in business? I mean, you guys have been in business a long time and, it, mm-hmm. and that takes a lot of hard work. What sort of challenges do you think you've been able to face?
6: Well, I think um, our competitors when they came along, I think we buckled down and really uh, made an effort and uh, I guess just the whole thing is we just like it so much that I think uh, we just keep going on and whatever challenges come along we just feel like we can overcome it. But uh, yeah, when the big box stores and that era came along we, we really buckled down and worked really hard so try to do more customer service and that type of thing.
2: And tell me a little bit about um, your employees. I know you have some that have been around for a long time. You've got a lot of different aspects of the business mm-hmm. here.
7: Well, I have three fellows here with me who have literally been with me since the, uh, the uh, 60s when I opened, uh, starting around 1966. One is uh, my repair technician. He manages uh, our repair shop. His name's Ronnie Cook. And Ronnie came as a guitar teacher, uh, and he developed a big following on teaching guitar. Uh, and after that, uh, he was mellowing out on teaching. He didn't want to do that. It is tough and uh, he wanted to be a repair person so uh did i tell you my story about the super tune well i'll tell you what he did he developed this little thing that we all know of now as a guitar setup but it was a super tune and what he would do is uh take a regular gauge set of strings and move all the strings over one where the a would become the low e and and right on up and he would put a banjo on banjo string on for the first string and that was our way of creating a set of light gauge strings before ernie ball really co- coined the custom gauge guitar strings with the super slinkies or the regular slinkies uh, and the kids liked that and ronnie knew his stuff he went to tech school so he knew how to fix amps guitars and so he's uh, been here for over well over 40 years doing that wow. and then I, my two managers jimmy uh mays and luke Campagnoli, they all i played music with them for a time and uh they came into uh Work with me back when the going was rough and uh, they've stayed for the 40-some years and they're both managers of the store and uh, so those three have been here for 40 years each or better and then I have a lot of them that have been here for 10 to 20 years, a couple.
2: Neat. And we've noticed this this morning just walking through the store an amazing array of instruments but also uh, different elements you you maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, some of the components that make up the business now
7: well there as we all know there's a lot of components that make up the business and I'm in some of them. Everything from the band and orchestra business, which is big if you deal directly with the schools, the piano and organ business, if you're a piano and organ dealer for mom and dad to buy a piano at home. We have the digital pianos and the portable organs, but we don't try to do anything in the big home piano market. But as far as uh, combo, we try to do all of it that we can. Uh, We start out, we offer for guitar players a free group lesson if they already have a guitar that maybe they bought or got for Christmas or wherever the heck they got it, and it's under the bed or it's in the closet. We say, bring it on in and we'll give you a group guitar lesson to get you oriented to playing your guitar and try to get them not to be so nervous about holding it and you know whatever. And if they like that, we offer six uh, group lessons for $75, so they can move on out of the group lesson facet into out of the, uh, well, they can take that and then move from the group lesson facet into personal private lessons. And we offer about 500 lessons a week with different people playing guitar, bass, or piano, or keyboard, or uh, flute, sax, all of it. We offer all of it. Uh, and then there's the repair business, which is very, very important for a, a store like ours. And we have, of course, Ronnie on teaching, or... Um, fixing the guitars, and we have his helper, Gib does the uh, most of the electronic, and then we have Alex, who does uh, our brass and woodwind uh, repairs, and so that's, you know, and it's a pay-as-you-go, in other words, that brings a little bit of profit to the store, as well as accommodating customers that have bought things that, you know, if they take it home and it's broken, they either, A, want it fixed today... Or B, they want a replacement. Or C, they want their money back because they want it to play now. They don't want it to play next week sometime. Uh, And what else do we do? Well, we have an eBay website, and we have our own BuildMusic.com website, which is very important to us. Uh, And on that, we offer a lot of local offerings. We have a place on our website called The Band Box. And a band can list their picture. Uh, They can list their website and all the that they do and we will link right to them hopefully they get a few jobs out of it we list all the venues in Maryland that they can play at so if they don't know where to try to get a job to play music they can go on and look in the menus we offer uh, on the band box we show all the recording studios that we know of so if they want to do a recording we don't do that but we send them through our website that they can go over and just link on and find out about this one, that one, or the other. We have apparel where you can get a Beatles suit if you want to and something like that for the nostalgic-type bands. Uh, and there's a lot of other things that we're working on, like putting band videos on our website. So if they have a little clip, they can go on to MySpace, of course, if they want to, or YouTube. But they'll be able to list it on our website so people come and can... Because bands play for other bands. It's like Women Dress for Women. Uh... They like to see what the other bands are doing so.
2: absolutely <laughs> well said <laughs> that's great <laughs> <laughs> and also one of the things i thought was unique um, is your rental program for um guitars electric guitars right. and so forth
7: well we had do a couple things there <clears throat> we have a rent to own for brass and woodwind strings and all that it's designed primarily for the school a student, which is a rental over three years, and if they keep it for the full three years, they they own it or they pay it off early and save a substantial discount. Then we also have the same type of thing for combo, uh, pre-owned combo instruments like used Fender or Gibson guitar. Well, not so much Gibson, but maybe a lower end Gibson. Epiphones. Uh, we also offer the amplifiers, drum kits, uh, anything that's a combo instrument, and that little rent-to-owns based on a year, and so. It, and essentially, they pay about 10% of it a month, uh, and they own it in a year, and they get a, a little discount, too, if they pay off early. We handle all the uh, repair maintenance that they might have to have on it, any of that type of thing. And the best thing about it, if they're renting a little Squire guitar or a little acoustic or something like that, they have the whole 12 months they can turn it in apply all the money towards a brand new, whatever it is they want. They could get a new Paul Reed Smith that they want to with their rental money. Huh. So they can get in cheap, have a decent instrument, learn how to play, and a year later they're much more qualified to decide what real instrument they might like to have or what brand they might like to have. And they can turn it in and recoup all their rental money towards a, a brand new instrument. That's, That's how That's terrific, that works. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and they yeah. like it too. Yeah. And we like it because we get that entry-level sale rather than going to a... Oh, I'll call it a, a Best Buy or Walmart or something like that, buying a, a little cheap instrument. They can rent an inexpensive instrument from us and then still apply all their money to a better instrument when the time comes.
2: So that was Nancy and Bill Higgins. And I, what I remember uh, specifically about walking into their store in Maryland is that Nancy's Little desk is right at the front desk, at front door rather. When you walk in, there's nowhere to go but to see her first, and I think that's a really neat way of connecting with your customers. So oftentimes the stores are. Designed where the desks are in the back or in the middle and being right up front at first I was like, oh, well there she is and it's really great because uh, I don't know how much work she actually gets done because she greets Everybody and everybody can see her, but what a warming and welcoming uh, environment that is So let's move on now in our mom-and-pop Podcast today. Who are we going to be hearing from next?
1: So up next, we're going to travel up to Corning, New York, to Merrick Music, owned by Dick and Marilyn Puccio. This is the interview that I started listening to first, and the whole reason why I fell in love with this Mom and Shop podcast was just that whole interview. They were such a family through and Mm, through. No doubt. It was constantly support support for you support for you here what my kids are doing here is oh dad make sure you tell them about this amazing idea you had so I hope you get what I got out of it um, so here they are
2: so the store that you took over was in existence it you?
8: was yeah they they were a full line store they were a, a piano a combo and, and they carried off but I, I took over the guitar department they sold that section off, and then eventually they sold off the piano end of it too, but i didn 't get into pianos i I did just guitars and combo stuff.
2: What was the name of that store?
8: That was Kelly Music, and uh, they were a great family. Uh, I loved working for them they were they were They were pleasant people, and they kind of took me under their wing and I, 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 it was a good move for us. Mm. Forty
2: years ago, <laughs> don't believe me. That was forty years ago. Wow! And so, when you started the store, where did the name come from? How did you decide on what you were going to call it?
8: Well, her name is Marilyn. My name is Rich. We took the M A R and the R I C H, and it became Marriage. And she is the mayor of Marriage Music. <laughs>
2: That's great.
8: Yeah, we. It's been fun. We've had. Well, you know, it was kind of a roller coaster ride. But when you ride a roller coaster, you have a lot of fun. We had some ups and downs, and it was, uh, we, we, we've met an awful lot of nice people. Uh, in the early years, oh, I'd say about 79 or 80, we came to a trade show. I think it was the first one right out here. And uh, it was in the old Anaheim Convention Center, and it really wasn't much. I mean, there were a few vendors there, and you know, I think it was a two- or three-day event. And we stayed for one day, and then we did some sightseeing. Uh, and then we didn't come well, until after he was, I think it was about 15 or 16 years later. Yeah. And uh, my first name was in 97. 97. 97? Yeah. Okay. Well we came in 97. and.
0: Um, I still have the T-shirt.
8: Yeah. The, the Convection Center wasn't what it is now, it was a different building. And uh, they didn't have, they, ju- they were just starting, as I remember they were just starting the uh, uh, work, workshops and they were in hotel rooms in different places, and we went to a couple of those, and they were real good. And then the kids were growing up and things, and I didn't get the chance to go to too many, but about 10, 15 years ago, uh, she retired. She was a school teacher for 34 years, taught second grade, and uh, she retired, and I said, look, let's go to the trade show. When we got here, it was just... And you know what? (laughs) Nam has a wealth of knowledge. I mean, the the the, the floor itself is, is wonderful because you get to see all the new products and things, and you talk to the vendors. That, people that you talk to on the phone, you get to meet them uh, face-to-face, and it's really, really fun and interesting. But the education uh, NAMU is just unparalleled. And, and, and We come out here, and the things we learn, yeah, we went to the uh, retail, we've gone to all the re- retail boot camps, and we um, you know, Alan, Alan Friedman, he's just a wealth of knowledge. If you take him to heart, you know, he you can really make your business profitable. And there's the merchandising aspect of it and, you know, the the Idea Center. We spend more time in the Idea Center than we do probably traveling, checking out the, the vendors on the floor. And I, I you know, I, I regret Not having come in the early years, I think I could have done a whole lot better with our business than I have. But we've done all right. It's (laughs) it's been profitable, and and, you know we we've done some things right. I mean we're still here. Forty years. Forty years. Impressive. Yeah. And you know we don't we don't owe anybody anything, so. Hey.
2: So what would you say were some of the challenges when you first started the store? Some of the challenges. Well, you know. When we started,
8: uh, you could buy a guitar for $100, you could sell it for $200. So you could make a little bit of money and you didn't give any discounts, I mean maybe if if somebody was taking lessons there they might ask for 10% off or something, you might give them 10% off just because they're a student. But nobody came in the door and asked for a discount. But then catalogs started coming out and then we started getting hit with that and uh, things have changed through the, through the years. I mean, now it's the internet, and and uh, well, so I think one of the presenters this morning at the boot camp said, you know, you have to try different things. You have to be you have to you have to change, and we've done that down through the years. Uh, when when we started facing catalogs, we did the best we could, and then. You know, in those days, you uh, you advertised in the newspaper. We had two newspapers. That was easy. Mm. Now, newspapers are almost a thing of the past. You know, we were in yellow pages. we do not any yellow pages anymore. Um, TV, there were two TV stations. We advertised in both of them. There were two, three radio stations. Now, you know, there's 15 radio stations, and with cable, there's, I don't know, 300 stations. So which one do you advertise on? Advertising isn't the same as it was back then. And we've kind of adapted. We've got our uh, website. We're doing some web things. We're having experience with JCPenney Company, they were big promoters, you know. They always, they always had an event uh, going on uh, every weekend, practically. Uh, so I kind of felt that if you wanted to succeed, you had to let people know who you were, where you are, and what you got. And so I did that. And a lot of times when things got tough, uh, I would boost up our advertising and our promotions, and uh, everybody, but you know, the people who were in the business or other retailers, they'd say, "You know, you're nuts. You don't want to spend money on advertising now. Things are bad." Well, I, I didn't, think of, I didn't see it that way, mm. and uh, I still do that.
0: You know? Okay, you so, got to talk about the Great Weight Debate.
8: Oh, the Great Weight. <laughs> yeah,
0: debate. yeah oh, the Great God. Weight Debate. You
8: have to talk about that. It was a great promotion. They, they. Um, and actually, this was the old store that they worked for, but what they did, they sat around, and they, they were just bantering things back and forth. And they decided, well, well you know what? Every, losing weight is a big thing. Let's have a great weight debate. And what they did was they, they, they pulled in a uh, big scale, one of the ones you stand on, you know. And what they would do is you'd stand on a the scale and record your weight, and then whatever you bought, they would weigh that. And it was a contest. You had to guess how much merchandise in weight we would sell in a week. And you know they had they had a radio campaign where they had a, a panel discussion. You know we're going to sell. I'm going to lose. Right, marriage music is going to lose uh, fifty pounds this week. No, no, no. They're going to weigh. They're going to lose two hundred. And they hired. Uh, they didn't. They got. High school kids with T shirts that's such a great weight debate and they would jog up and down Market Street. It was a great promotion. Yeah, we, we really did well with that. It was fun. Fantastic.
2: Yeah. I should ask, uh, maybe we can get a little bit of background on, on you. Did you have music when you were growing up?
9: Uh piano. I uh, I took lessons from the Kelly family that owned the store. So when I uh, graduated school and moved to court and became a teacher, they said, would you like to be a piano teacher here? Hmm. So a piano teacher met the guitar teacher and then that's how that that <laughs> transpired. But I was the
1: only one in my family that was musical. So, so...
8: She's been an beautiful. integral part of the business. I mean, I, we, 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 I, we wouldn't have made it if it hadn't been for her. Oh. No, that's true. She, she was she was always there by my side. and You know, we would work in the early days. We only had uh, two employees, and we would work uh, nights and Saturdays, and we'll, oftentimes we'd go in Sunday to put up store displays, check in merchandise, and do inventory, that kind of thing, book work. Part of our uh, 40th anniversary, one of the things we're doing is uh, we're inviting our customers in to uh, enter their favorite local charity in a contest. They uh, enter, the, enter their charity in a contest, and once a month, because it's our 40th anniversary, we pull one out and we donate $40 to the charity. And what we do is we send, we send a letter to the charity and tell them we're, what we're doing and, we also, and who suggestion it was, and we also send a letter to the people who's, who uh, suggested it. We've had really good response from that. It's been it's been wonderful. It's a, it's our way of giving back to the community. Without them, we wouldn't have made it. They've been awful good to us. You didn't mention the guitar swap. You got to talk about that. I didn't. The guitar swap. We used to ski, and Kate says, "You know, our local ski shop has what they call a ski swap. Why don't we have a guitar swap?" So they they banded, they figure this thing out. So once a year now, we have what we call a guitar swap, and we invite people to bring their old guitars in, uh, give us a price of what they want to get out of them, and we kind of, uh, we collect them, and then uh, one on one day in March, uh, we just put them all on display, and we invite people to come in, and you know what? We get an awful lot of people to come in. It was It's the only promotion we've ever run where people have been, camped outside the store before the, s- the store opens. <laughs> but it's been a real good promotion.
2: What do you think were some of the key factors in the fact that your company is around for 40 years? What do you think? Well, we did different
8: things. If a franchise wa- wasn't selling, we whatever was selling, we picked it up. And we sold that until it stopped selling and then we would get something else and as things changed we changed our uh, promotional programs our advertising uh, we like I said we uh, um, you know the the economy has not been good in the last five six years but last year was the best year we ever had now this year is a little soft but we were really happy with last year and the year before that was the best year we ever had so um, I, we must be doing something right. And I think, I think part of it is, well, one thing, you know, we, we treat our customers, um, you know, our, our, it's a friendly place. It's a friendly place to come in. They come in and they'll talk. and If they buy, fine. If they don't, that's fine, too. We just find out and we talk to them and have a good time. We, our son-in-law and our, and our daughter have this uh, dog. It's a um, golden doodle stands about this high. And our daughter teaches uh, second grade in the school district, so uh, Ben works at the store. So they can't leave the dog at home, and Ben brings the dog over at the store. Well, everybody that comes into that store just falls in love with this dog. I mean, it's the most gentle, calmest, uh, friendliest dog you ever want to see, and it's big. I mean, it's it's fluffy. It looks like a toy, actually. (laughs) But people come in, they just fall all over that dog, and uh, it starts a conversation. It, I don't know. I've had a lot of fun just meeting people and talking to them, and same with these guys. They, you know, People are what it's all about. Uh, if, if, if people come in and, and you find out a little bit about them, you talk to them, and I, I, I'm kind of bad in that respect because I really don't try to sell people. I just I find out about them. I get to know them, who they are, and talk to them and it's just a one-on-one conversation and I don't know it's fun it's really fun like I said we've met an awful lot of nice people
2: so that was Dick and Marilyn Puccio and uh, I remember going up to uh, the Finger Lakes of New York Mm. Corning a beautiful area and again just a warm and welcoming folks they always they're almost always at every NAMM show and they are always together holding hands and greeting everybody that walks by. They're just a fabulous couple. And I think a great reminder of the passion that two people can have and how they can sustain a company for so many years just by working together and working out all the kinks and the challenges and the you know, new competition and the internet and all these things that come around, they just one at a time sort of hit them out of the park. And I think that dedication hopefully is contagious and uh, I see so many younger people learning from them and going up to them and talking to them so I know they're very encouraging and I think that's a big part of our our industry also that we sometimes talk about is the mentoring that happens sort of unofficially you know just in the halls of the NAM show or over the phone and over the internet and so I think it's a, a great example of what uh, Dick and Marilyn certainly do in their daily lives. So I'm very happy to have that interview. And I, I wanted to take a second to uh, let Mike tell you where to go to learn more, because these are not the only mom and pops that we've talked to over the years for the Oral History Project. So if you would
0: like to check out more, Mike? You can head over to nam.org, www.namm.org, slash library. Click on the Advanced Search tab, and you can search through all of our tags including music retail, which will have all of these mom and pop shops and any other music retailers that we have interviewed. And if you want to get even more specific, you can search through uh, the different state tags we have, and that will encompass music retailers in different states.
2: Well said young man. So let's move on.
0: <laughs> so it looks like next up, we're going to hear from Tom and Brenda Hebert.
2: Yes, this is great. These are the, uh, the founders and owners and um uh, Amazing couple of the uh, the Canadian retail business. These guys are uh, from Cosmo Music, really close to um, Toronto, and uh, just a an amazing opportunity. I think to to look at how something develops over time when you didn't expect it to you know their store sort of just happened and it wasn't necessarily following any particular plan and now their son who is currently on the NAM board is running it with them and it's just amazing to see how innovative they are. Mike was talking a little bit ago about uh, about how they have a festival uh, and you know just an amazing a couple that just keeps thinking of how can we connect with our customers? How can we be a part of our community? How can we grow music making? I mean, it's sort of constantly on their minds and uh, you get energized just being around couples like this. So um, so I'm really happy that we're going to share part of their story. Uh, Michelle, what are they going to be talking about?
1: So they're going to be talking a little bit about, again, how they got into the business, how it has grown. The design of their stores some of the challenges and they talk a little bit about the staff which is something a lot of the people here have talked about and just how amazing their staff is and I think it's worth mentioning that one of the my most favorite things about these mom-and-pop shops is just how they treat everyone mm, as family
0: right good point so here's Tom and Brenda
1: over the
9: years we we just kept outgrowing where we were. We, there just wasn't enough space to accommodate us. Mm. So we we would move a department. We moved our repair department to a, a little area not far from where we were, and then we moved the offices to a little plaza next to us. And and then we we had all these rental instruments that we had to store. They come back oh, in yeah. the summer from schools. So we rent warehousing to put them in. It, and the logistics were just. It, it was crazy. Yeah, We we became the
10: biggest renter of band in and So company. we
9: bought wow. a second location Many as thousands. just our brass and reed center and with a big warehouse and brought all the instruments there. So then we just had the two locations. Put our repair people there, we put the instruments there, and we put our head office there. Then we just had two locations. But we outgrew that. <laughs> so... Um, They had, they, I'm talking him, and the other management had decided that it would be better to be all under one roof, Hmm. and uh, Tom had always had a dream about a music mall, buy a whole plaza or a mall and have your music lessons and your dance lessons and your anything Um, music related, all in the same place, so when a parent went out to take their children for lessons, it was all there. Mm -hmm. And put the store there too, so it was like a hub. And um, I think he'd kind of given up on it for a while, but when we realized we needed more space, we started looking for a large piece of land that we could bring all the uh, parts of the business under one roof. And uh, we found the location that we're in now, which is on a freeway, a major highway, um, a little out of the center of town, which we struggled with. We wanted it to be on Young Street because That's Young famous, Street is Young yeah. Street. Uh, but the parking there and the traffic is just uh, uh, horrendous. Hmm. Um, the place that we're in now is close to the major uh, highway. And um, easier access, uh, not as busy over there, and we bought four acres of land and put this this 56,000-square-foot f- building on it, thinking... My
10: shopping mall idea, you know, yes. have all the stores thinking around the, the repair department, they have in stores all around the...
9: Thinking we province. would never outgrow it. And we made the... That's why the atrium, I don't know if you've seen the store, but the atrium is like a shopping mall. You walk in and it's like each department is like a separate store with a separate... Uh, its own facade on it, like mm. a a street in Italy, you know, this one will have this face on it, and the next one was a bicycle up above it, or flower boxes, or, and they're all different, that's what the atrium looks like, so it incorporated what he'd always dreamed about, and, um, um, and we got to design it from scratch. Mark was a, a huge driver of the um, layout, um, making cer- certain departments central to the whole, ev- like the repair department had to be central because everybody has repairs, all the different instruments. And, um, so it was designed from scratch to meet exactly what we wanted. It accomplished Tom's dream of having his music mall. And, um,
10: and a cafe. And and the, and the we're
9: outgrowing it now.
10: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well,
9: warehousing is an issue, and, because we're into uh, online sales now, so warehousing is, yeah. Tell That's me how, how we you got guys
2: there. Saw, uh, t- please tell me how you uh, saw the um, diversification of the instruments grow. I mean, I, you guys are in pro audio. There's all kinds of asset <coughs> aspects to what the product line is. Than the first guitars that you sold, how do you, how do you see that grow? What was the impetus of all that?
10: Well, as as we looked around and we had to have this, we had to hire people to sell this stuff for. Us, so then we said we'll have to have a department for that. You know. So then that all started growing so with that's when we decided we'd make like a shopping mall thing with a big atrium with all the different stores in the, the drum store the electronics store yeah. the repair shop all running off this shopping yeah. mall yeah. Type yeah. thing yeah wow.
9: even as the first store even when it was just the first little store and it was little um it still had everything in it it still had Music lessons. It mm-hmm. had print. It had guitars. It had amplifiers. It had a rental department. It had a, a, a tiny repair department. This would mm-hmm. be our repairman here. Uh-huh. And as we grew, each of those departments just got bigger. Now, Tom was never happy unless his neck was on the line and and a mile long. Again, many very serious conversations, but as he was very intuitive in seeing the need for something, um, for instance, our band rentals. Um, oh
10: yeah, yeah, that was big. big.
9: There were schools around us that had school programs. People were coming in and taking lessons on the flute or the trumpet or whatever. Um, so he had this, this idea that why don't we rent? These instruments, we'll buy them from the manufacturers, and we'll rent them to the schools, the school boards, or to the people. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, getting the money was another story. Going to the bank manager, who said, "Are you crazy? You're going to give a $400 flute to an 11-year-old? Yeah. Uh, get out! Get out of my office!" <laughs> um, <Just> and <laughs> so the the financing of all the the buying, the building, the Band rental instruments, the expansion, the financing was always, always a huge issue, and I don't think we were any different than any any other music store.
10: Well, I think we, we were different world. because we, we were big into rentals. Was, we had yeah. millions of dollars in rental instruments. You yes, know, so we pursued over, all over Canada, like thousands of trumpets. And
9: we found a way. And
10: clarinets, and
2: they're all out there, you know.
10: Mm. Yeah.
9: So.
2: You talked the bank manager into it. Is that how it worked? Pardon? You talked the bank manager into the loan.
9: No, we uh, we have a uh, federal business development bank, it was called at that time, it's now called BDC, Business Development Corporation. And uh, we were told about them by somebody and we approached them and they thought it was an absolutely brilliant idea and they helped fund that mm. until we could get on our feet and, and um, pay them out and move on to a more conventional bank. Um, we've always had to use fu- outside funding. Um,
2: Very interesting. At
10: one point we had 14,000 instruments on. We have right?
9: 12,000 now.
2: Well, I think 12,000 now we have. So it's just
9: That's
2: crazy. I know, but that also was a big risk, right? I mean, well, yeah.
9: everything was a risk. Everything he liked risk. his neck out. <laughs> <laughs> he was very entrepreneurial. Very had never stopped working, thinking of ways to expand, change, try something different, uh, and through the the years of recession, um, it was good that we were so diversified because. This would be down, but this would be up. And because we had the lessons, we had the repairs, we had the rentals, we had the sales. Might have been a bad year for sales, but people would keep their instrument and get it repaired or take lessons so they could play it at home. We always were able to diversify and, and make it through the tough years, and that's still True today, we're very diversified in the company. And
10: and we got to the numbers where we could start to order from the states, from the factories. Mm -hmm. They'd sell to us because we could buy 1,000 flutes. Yes. And so finally the factory would say, well, oh, we will sell you direct then. Guess you couldn't buy direct. We had to go to other wholesale suppliers. So Mm -hmm. it got to the point where we could buy direct from the factory so we could get the factory prices.
9: We've had some very supportive suppliers through the years as well, very supportive. And we've seen the changing in the wholesalers that have, I think King was, King Instruments were, was King when we started buying yeah. them. Then they became UMI, and then they became Con Selmer. I mean, it's evolved over, I, I don't even try to keep track of the names mm-hmm. anymore because the, the brands move around from supplier to supplier. But we've had very supportive suppliers through the years, and they still are very supportive. And, uh, and in case I didn't mention it, our staff, our, our yeah. staff is long-term, and I can't say enough about how wonderful they are. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them, well, that family. Well, we treat yeah.
10: them like family, you yes. know, really. Not we as really much do. now,
9: it's harder because
10: yeah. there's, so many. there's so
9: many of them. Um, but there is that personal connection where you try to know something about them or.
2: Well, I, what I think is interesting, about the diversity of your staff is, you've allowed them to have their own niche too. You yes, know, if they're yeah. specializing in something, that's their area, and you sort of let them, and that helps the company grow in areas that maybe you aren't as familiar with or, that's right. and that's an important yes. part, you know, letting them develop yes. and grow.
9: Many of our uh, upper management, most of, all of our upper management started with us when they were very young and, Uh, may have started as a salesperson and now run that department and are part of our upper management team. So they know the history of where we've come from. They know what's happened throughout the years. And and that's uh, very comforting to know that you have people that get it like you do and care like you do and we've seen them have families and the families grow up and go and now they're having their own children it's i'm shocked when i see some of these children that were children that had babies and now those babies are having babies you know <laughs> yes that's typical of being old <laughs>
2: Okay, so as our podcast for Mom and Pop music shops continue, we got to pause for the royalty.
0: <laughs> would you agree, Mike? The ones that transcended into kind of another dimension of music retail. <laughs> yes.
2: No doubt about it. We're talking about Jerry and Bernice Ash of Sam Ash Music in New York.
0: They took what was a single music store started by let's see, what generation Ash would that be? His Jerry's dad. Jerry's dad, right and turned it into a family business empire. Mm. And it has the feeling of a large business, but also it kept that family feeling, which I think is the most important part.
2: Absolutely, and Sammy, who's running it now, really has learned that quality from his uncle Paul and his dad, Jerry, and of course his mom. And I really think that that's in the fabric of who they are as a company. You know, not long ago, uh, NAM awarded the uh, Sam Ash Company a 95th uh, award for their years in business. And it was truly amazing to me to see how many of their sales managers and so on coming up to accept that award with Sammy, who insisted that it was for everybody, you know, and taking the time to say that he is working with one of the best teams in the entire industry. You know that is a type of acknowledgement that you do for your kid right patting him on the back and and you know that is totally how i i sensed that moment and his connection with his employees is uh very endearing to be around and i think a great quality and possibly one of the major uh components of why they are still in business after all these years
0: Awesome. So here are Jerry and Bernice Ash.
2: The many changes and evolutions that have happened on 48th Street uh, in the music business, in particular uh, those that associate with uh, Sam Ash, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about how you have seen that develop over the years.
11: Well, uh, when we started we had one tiny store on the street. It was 17 feet wide by 100 feet long. And had a basement that you couldn't believe the floor was all cracked and falling apart. And it had a floor upstairs which we used uh, as a brass and wind shop at the time. We had so much merchandise in there that the place was chaotic. And we were on a street with all well established music stores. But uh, somehow, uh, the business started to come our way. Uh, some of the um, people gave up, some retired, and quite honestly, the business on 48th Street probably has been eroding for the last 20 years. But we didn't feel it because anytime time somebody uh, left the street, we took their store. So we grew. But probably the overall volume of the street shrank because at one time there was somewhere between 15 and 17 stores on the block. and uh, It started to get to the point where if you didn't have a big store you really couldn't handle it. There was so much merchandise coming out, there was so much to carry, and people wanted to go into a store where if they walked in you had it, which is our philosophy. So, uh, we seem to have won out over the years. And uh, it's still a good street, but not what it was in its heyday. There were uh, dozens of shows on Broadway with large bands, uh, 15, 18 piece bands. Now, you'll find five, six, eight, maybe 10 people on the pit Uh, synthesizers filling in the parts. You'll have maybe one or two trumpets and synthesizers in the background, same with saxophones or anything else. Mm. So there are less musicians in the area. So uh, we find that the suburban stores, our own among others, have taken some of the uh, volume away from New York. At one time, there was the myth that if he came to New York, he'd get a better deal than anywhere else. And we saw people pass two, three of our stores to get to Manhattan to buy. But that myth has been dispelled. So now people will go into the, we hope, the nearest Sam Ash store. And the stuff will be there and the price will be the same. Mm. So the street has changed.
2: Another thing that developed quite a bit since we talked was the number of stores you guys have. Sixteen states now, is that right?
11: Yeah. Wow. And uh, you, you pretty much can't stay still because we have a monster breathing down our backs, and we have to keep up the volume with the manufacturers, so we need more stores. And we seem to have found a formula that works. My son seemed to have found it. Uh, we find the place. S O uh, N S. We find the place and uh, they agree on it. David um, works out the lease because he's a lawyer. Uh, Sam goes down there, um, hires the contractors, fixes it up, recruits the staff, trains the staff. Richard fills it with merchandise, and we go.
12: And And I fill it with
11: music. And it seems to work. That's neat.
2: Is there a fear of growing too big?
11: No, there's a fear of having our stores too close to each other. We can cannibalize each other. Mm. But uh, we can handle the growth. We have a staff here in this building of about a hundred people. uh, we seem to be able to handle it. We automate more and more, which is a big help.
12: This is just executive uh, building. We don't sell from nothing that is done from here. Just buying, taking pictures,
2: <laughs> putting you on the spot. Those sort of are yeah, yeah. <laughs> here. Yes. Though I, I may be wrong about this, but as I understand, your your father passed away before. He, he we expanded, had one store. Yeah.
11: When, when he, died. he
12: wouldn't allow us to expand. Oh, is that right? He, he said, said we
11: wanted the family all on the one roof.
12: He said it would break up the family if we had more than one store.
2: Oh, thinking the brother would go in each store? Yeah.
12: So, we'll,
2: so we had the one
11: really small store in Brooklyn. And uh, a few years after he passed away, we uh, moved to a corner. Paul found a spot at the corner. and fixed it up, took a bunch of small stores, cleaned them out, made one big store, and uh, was quite successful. And we noticed that so much of our business was coming from Long Island that we decided we must have a store out there. So we opened up uh, in 1961. We opened up in Hempstead, which at the time was the hub, the center of Long Island. Well, it was uh, fairly rural further out and it was an immediate success. Three years later, with the help of Fred Gretsch Jr., who was the president of Fred Gretsch at the time, and also the president of the Lincoln Savings Bank, a wonderful man, he took us in his car, took us around to areas that he thought might be good for another store, and we settled on the area of Huntington which is the next county over. We're in Nassau County here. That's uh, Suffolk County. So he was a wonderful guy, and he he helped us. That's amazing, yeah. I mean, he was a busy man. He was making the drums and guitars, and it was a busy busy time in the industry, and he took his time to do it for us. As a matter of fact, his father, worked with my father and said to my father once, Sam, if you're gonna sit in this store and wait for customers to come, you're gonna starve. So my father bought a car, second-hand car, and started delivering music to piano teachers. In those days, the biggest part of our business was simply music books. So he would deliver music to the piano teachers. They would call up, they wanted two, three dollars' worth of music he would go out and deliver it. Paul would go with him and run up the stairs and- Excuse me.
12: The music was in boxes. A to D, E to F, the black, black boxes and you have to flip, you know, one box on top of it and you had to flip through to get the Beethoven for a lease or whatever, unbelievable. When did we go into Rex?
11: Uh, when we moved into Hempstead. No, no, no before I, that. In the, uh, when we moved the Brooklyn store, yeah. That made a- Is that
2: your job, is to figure all that out? No.
11: <laughs> Paul did that. Uh, Bernie's came to work in uh, 1947, a year before we got married. Uh, we were auditioning her she worked out, so I married her.
12: I didn't even go to my prom.
11: Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so she came to work and uh, then she worked until 51 when we had our first child and came back to work when our youngest, Sam, uh, was six. He was born in 57, so she came back in 63. And you
12: know, we had a Sam because... We all loved, I in particular loved my father-in-law very much. He was sweet, kind, funny.
11: Great person.
12: He was a great person to be with. And when he passed away, I said, honey, we have to have another child. Either it'll be a Sam or a Samantha. Fortunately, it was a Sam.
11: Yes. So anyway, so Bernie's came to work. Paul was doing other jobs in the business He's the busiest guy in the, in the whole chain.
2: I can tell by the stuff on his desk.
11: You <laughs> can't, can't believe it. And
12: you guy. tell him you need this one, he's able to slip it right out. Okay. He knows just right where it out. is.
11: So one day he, he decided he was going to take over another job, and he said to Bernice, take over the music. Just like that. Take
12: now, it. I was working the music counter, but you know, ordering that whole bit, how much, what, was a surprise to me, but it worked out. I mean, it was only for, what, two stores?
11: No, at the time we had about five.
12: Five stores,
11: sorry. Anyway, uh, she made a huge difference. The, the volume of business we do in music now is pretty astounding.
2: Now you guys didn't get into the home organ market, no. did you? No. No.
11: That's a totally different business.
2: But you did get into the early synthesizers. He
11: we were the about first the first, first. We were probably one of the very first to get have synthesizers. We even had to run uh, programs to teach both the public and our people what a synthesizer was.
12: We had a workshop. And who was?
11: Uh, Robin Moog was there.
12: Robin.
11: <laughs> and in uh, and, and those days, all the uh, synthesizer guys were young, ambitious guys with no particular money. And every one of them appeared for us at uh, clinics to, to acclimatize people, to, to let them know what a synthesizer was. So that's, uh, yeah, we were, Very early. I remember
12: we were very good friends with Washington Music, Chuck and Marge Levin, and we went out for dinner one time. And he says, "You're crazy. What are you going into synthesizers? Nothing's going to happen with it."
11: (laughs) But uh, when software came out for uh, in the early days, I said to my uh, guys, "We need a computer in every store. You can't display it." You can't show it if you don't have it a com- have a computer. And I sent computers out. And I in those days, I used to make a circuit of all the stores. We had about six stores at the time. Came into, I remember, my Paramus store. Where's the computer? Oh, we have it in the back. We're playing around with it. I said, that's not what it's for. It's not for you. It's for the customers so they can see how the software works. I made them put it out on the floor. They didn't have the sense to realize you can't sell something if you can't demonstrate something. So we were very early into software. We were uh, one of the first into the uh, portable organ business. There was the Vox portable organ, which was a four octave piece with black and white keys reversed and then there was the Fafisa. And those two were uh, were big sellers for us. We were among the first to carry it. I put it in because they said, we think this will move. And I was very, and particularly with the Fafisa, I was very close to the people at Chicago Musical at the time, which owned Gibson and Olds and so many other brands. So we put it in and then- Right? Yeah. yeah. Then all of a sudden, House of the Rising Sun came out and a few others which had organ backgrounds. And we started selling organs like crazy.
2: It's amazing how that happens, isn't it? Yes. I think your brother was telling me when, um, a, oh, I forget the dueling banjo and yes. you know, came out all of a sudden, the banjo came out of nowhere you yeah. know, being popular. Do you see that a lot? I mean, pop culture. Yes, that's ha- what happens. Oh, all the store. time. Yes.
11: The other thing is, we find if we have somebody who has a little charisma and who can play an instrument well, that instrument will take off.
12: Hmm. And we'll sell more of that. He'll sell more of it than any other salesman.
11: Any other store.
12: Any other, yeah. It's, it's important.
11: Uh, uh, to find and retain people like that. It's not easy. Mm. But if, if, you, if you can get, say, a good flutist or flautist in a store, uh, they could sell a zillion flutes.
12: We had a good banjo player. Do you remember? Yeah, this is a
11: long, long time ago. When we opened our uh, store in Hempstead, we had a guy who was uh, a banjo player, four string. And
12: that was a no-no long, instrument. Long,
11: nobody bought them. but he started to sell them. And we took in more and more and more, mm -hmm. and we sold the hell out of them. All of a sudden, he decided he didn't want to do retail anymore. The business, gone.
12: Wow. Salespeople are very important. Very important.
11: Sell what you honestly believe in, because if it comes through to the customer that the guy is enthusiastic and believes in a product, he'll sell it. If he's just noncommittal about it, it won't happen. The guys I want to kill are the ones who, when a customer comes in and says, which of these should I buy? I say, well, which one do you like? It's not the way to go. You are a salesman. You have opinions. Give them, because it will come through as being authentic, not, you know, some phony uh, reason that they could see through.
12: We're in business over 80...
11: 83 years. years. 84 now. Ooh. Yeah, and 1924. One of, one 93, of the reasons, I
12: think, is the business is run on such a, in such an ethical way with honesty, we don't fool, we don't say it's great and it's not great. And that has come down?
11: Well, it's more than that too. If we don't believe in something, we won't carry it. We do a lot of importing of instruments. And every once in a while I'll get something in that's really bad. I won't sell it. there's no point to it. There's no point in putting merchandise out that's no good.
12: You only get it on half
11: There's no, there's, no, there's no future in that. And anytime you sell a truly bad instrument, you're cutting somebody off at the pass. That's somebody who's not going to continue. They don't know if it's them or the instrument. They only know that it's hard to do, hard to play. The satisfaction is not there one less customer doesn't make sense it's a lousy instrument and you own it eat it don't sell it
1: so once again that was Jerry and Bernice Ash talking about the growth of their business and where they see it going up next you're going to hear from Jim and Edie Kidder of Kidder Music they're another couple that I just feel love what they do they're not in it for any type of accolades that are not in it For the money, they're in it because they have a passion through and through for what music stands for.
2: And they created an amazing niche there in the middle of Illinois, Peoria and Bloomington. They have two different locations and their band instrument, their lesson program, all these things are sort of what other companies are aspiring to be. And it's just amazing to me how they've formulated this plan just day by day by day. You know, they didn't set out with a big master plan, and yet they have typified what it is that retailers should be doing if they want to connect with their customers. I mean, customer service is what they're all about, and to connect with their employees and encouraging family members like their daughter, Beth, who's running it now, to really be involved and to create her own niche and to grow it in her own way by still maintaining those core values. So here's Jim and Edie. Well, so I was wondering if you could both tell me a little bit about how the store got started and and some of the challenges that you faced in those early years.
13: Well, the early years, there were challenges because, uh, as Ed just explained her entry into bookkeeping, my entry into the business world was the same as a lot of people who are at this convention. Uh, music education majors, by whatever door opening that you don't expect, you find yourself in the music business. And uh, so you come to organizations like this and you are mentored uh, and uh, you learn your business on the fly and with a little bit of uh, perseverance and, and uh, good luck everything works out
5: <laughs> you don't have formal sales training you don't have formal business management training you don't have you don't have any of that mm-hmm. you know and so you have to learn it wherever you can and however
13: you can and we've got a lot from any smd and nam
0: mm-hmm.
13: uh, and rpmda and all those organizations we've been active in everything since we've started basically i think this is my either 40th or 41st out of the 50 NASMD conventions. Wow. Uh, We've been in business for 38 years, but I was with another company that was a member uh, previous to that, that I attended three or four of them with, so... um, What company was that? That was Byerly, B-Y-E-R-L-Y, and they were a very strong uh, central Illinois business since 1922. And uh, they were a con retail outlet uh, starting in 1922, and uh, um, they expanded. Uh, they were a really big, prominent name in the music industry. Mr. Byerly, back in the early 60s, was president of NAMM. Uh, and there was that age group of people in there that were friends, so I got to know a lot of them. And it was a, a much kinder, gentler time, uh, I'm sure, but uh, they expanded into eight or ten mall locations, and uh, the store was passed down to a couple of other generations. And things didn't work out uh, from a cash flow standpoint, I guess, so, uh, the way they wanted it to. So eventually, the band instrument department became available to buy, and I and Eden, I bought it in uh, '74, and hence became Kidder Music. So. Uh, we had no reason not to succeed, because I had called on the same schools and the, and in the same territory for nine years. Uh, and people knew me and I knew them, so, and three or four of the employees uh, that had been in their uh, school service department came along with me in the repair shop. So if we had failed, it would have certainly been our own fault, because we had all the recipe for success to start with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I said before, a little luck never hurts. Yeah.
5: <laughs> except for cash.
13: Yeah, except for cash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, it's interesting. You talked about the experience because I've always thought there's a difference um, between the customer who's the band director and the customer who's comes into the store,
13: you know, as a regular musician. Is there
2: a difference in your eyes, too? Or?
13: Oh, certainly. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, the band director is a, is a, an educator and has a totally different focus on his objectives and needs uh, than the mom or dad or uh, a rock person or uh, whoever that walks in. We're pretty much school oriented. We have a couple of locations that cater a little bit more to combo business, but we're primarily driven by the, the school market. and. Of course, you take a, the object of all of us here is to take good care of the of the educator, so that the educator thinks of us first when they do recruitments and when they uh, recommend to a parent the where to go to get, to get the accessories or needs for the for the internet. The
5: professional musician, generally speaking, is is focused on his instrument, his or her instrument. One instrument, the accessories, you know that sort of thing. Um, The band director has to be focused on all of them. And he has to be focused on repair, and he has to be focused on accessories, and he has to be focused on all the Mm minutiae, like drum keys, and drum heads, and, you know. She's always
13: been really good on percussion
5: Yeah, I'm really, really good (laughs) on that. but i think you know they have to have a broader scope and they have to have and they're dealing with a lot more people Mm -hmm. the professional musician is dealing with himself and he's dealing with whatever the next job is Mm -hmm. and what he needs for that job but you know it's very specific
2: you know one of the things that's a a clear um, example of of your reputation is the customer service um, is that
13: an easy philosophy to teach your employees? I think it. I think it has been. Now, whether we've been very fortunate in in having a lot of really good, capable, long term employees, we have very little turnover. We've had through the last what twenty five to thirty years, we've had five employees that we call our boomerang employees. That. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, but they've all turned around and came back uh, <laughs> within a year or so. And we welcomed them back because they were all very capable, good people, and they're all still with us. Um, I think if you live the model, and uh, we've been around long enough now that I think our reputation pretty much stands for itself, that when somebody comes to us for employment, they probably know what's expected of them because they've either gone through a, a band program in the area and uh, know of our reputation and, and what to expect, and I think it becomes a part of your culture that the, the community knows that uh, you're service oriented.
2: Mm-hmm.
13: So it makes it easy on the owner's part to, to do training and, and, and they get it quickly. Yeah, that's. I, I would think that would be important for sure. How that's going to work out in the future with, with uh, the younger generation now? They don't have the same. Uh, if, if you ask them how long they may work for you or what their aspirations are, they think, "Oh, I'll be here a long time." I, you know, three or four years. <laughs> that's really we have several people that have been with us thirty. So. It's a little different, we're thinking of different numbers than they are, yeah. <laughs> but nevertheless that some of the newer people that we've had uh, through retirements uh, have been with us for now for eight, nine, ten years. So oh, wow. it, mm-hmm. uh, We try to take good care of them and it's, it's like the musical, uh, it's, a, it's a family like you mentioned previously with other aspects of the industry. Yeah,
2: no doubt about it, that's neat. And and, um, how do you view your your staff as far as um, their um, their approach to their work and so on? I mean is it uh, constant training uh, or is it just a matter of you sort of learn as you go?
5: We try to hire good people and let them do their thing. Um, We do not do constant training, no. but for example, we, we had a guy who started last year as a part-time person, uh, just out of Bradley. And his particular interest is web stuff, web pages, web newsletters, web whatever, you know. And right at the time that he came, we didn't really have a spot for somebody full-time to do that because we had a spot for somebody part-time to do what he was doing, which is basically customer service. Well, he's shown us a few things and done a few things, and as time has gone on, now he's worked himself into a full-time job, and about half of that time is devoted to web stuff, Mm. and which is a good, it's a win-win for both of us, you know. He's working a couple of days at one of our other locations, um, which fills a need there as well. And so we're flexible. You know, one of the guys, the RIT guy now, started out with us in repair. And Jim kept saying to me, you know, he's never gonna be a repairman. He just doesn't get it, you know, which was true. And I, at the same time, had a guy working in the office that I said, he really isn't ever gonna be. <laughs> You know, an office person, he belongs in sales. And so we did a big switch, you know. And.
13: You got to get the right people matched up with the right responsibilities. Wound up
5: with them in. But I think we're (coughs) flexible enough to see and do some of those things. Whereas a lot of people are very structured and, you know, they hire for specific positions and they try to fill specific niches. And um, we're not so set on that. I guess.
2: Well that's a good thing, at least for those two guys, right? I mean they they
13: they weren't fired. You you tried really hard to find out. They're still both with us, yeah. I think that's true. And and in the spot where they should be. Yeah.
5: And one of them is one of the boomerang people.
13: Yeah. He he left and
5: he was his wife thought that they should go somewhere else and so now he doesn't have the wife and he's back. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) (coughs) Who knows?
13: I can't imagine doing anything else, frankly. I couldn't imagine not being in the music business.
5: No, it's been a lot of fun. And and we've met a lot of fun people and seen wonderful concerts. I mean, you know, it's provided us with opportunities to see and hear things that we would never, ever...
13: Oh, that's for sure.
5: ...have seen or heard. Uh, and both of us like that, too. You know, I mean, it isn't all... Um, working with musicians, it's it's enjoying music. It's it's being an audience, and we've heard lots and lots and lots of people at NAM shows or at you know just from this connection or that connection or whatever.
13: It made a lot of long-lasting friends. I mean, yes. a lot of our really long-lasting friends are through NAMM, uh, being on the, the board there, and and uh, NASMD involvement through the years. Uh, we're going to be going to be meeting them shortly as a matter of fact <laughs> <laughs> that's right it was a neat thing to say it is it's cool it's, it's a great business yep
5: it's a fun business
13: you and know. you're helping people really in the long run yeah, people you know they do this for a long time if they want to they can do this for a long time they're not going to dunk a basketball when they're 60 but they can still play the clarinet when they're 60 mm. and there's a lot more of that due to nams uh, involvement, I think, in and, and wellness and, and uh, New Horizons bands and all that sort of thing. It's worked. And there are a lot more people involved now than had they not done that.
2: Okay, that was Jim and Edie Kidder of Kidder Music in Illinois. And oh my gosh, you guys, I wish we had like six more hours to talk about all the other <laughs> mom and pops out there. We are definitely mi- doing a m- misnomer by saying that these are the top ones or uh, the most important because there are so many to choose from. But I really appreciated, Michelle, your extra care and putting this together and taking the time to go through these special interviews and pulling out some great segments. I hope you all out there have enjoyed it and I'm really looking forward to our next our next one.
0: Yeah, and one thing I wanted to mention too is just growing up in a family music store, you really see how uh, it operates and I'm sure that none of these uh, mom and pop music stores are an exception to it. Um, just the amount of work that they put in. it, Like you said, Dan, earlier, it doesn't stop when they go home. It's a 24-7 job and... You know, sometimes you're there, most of the time, you're at your store more than your home or with your family. And I just want to give a shout out to all of the mom and pop shops for all the hard work that they put in.
2: Absolutely. Well said. I also would love to, now that you brought that up, a shout out to all the kids who grew up in baconettes and <laughs> underneath the desk.
0: Got changed on the <laughs> guitar <laughs> repair table like me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> We turned out okay. Yeah, you did all right. Yeah, that's right.
2: That's right. Well, thank you guys for listening. And uh, Mike, thank you very much for uh, putting all this together.
0: All right. We will see you guys. No, we won't. You will hear from us again (laughs) in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Music History Project. This has been Mike Mullins.
1: Michelle Shedler.
0: And Dan Del Fiorentino. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us some feedback. If you have recommendations for future episodes, you can send those over to library at nam.org.